You have 24 Minutes, the podcast from 24-Hour Nation. My name is Randall White. In addition to hospitality and nightlife, nighttime workers have pivotal roles in healthcare, public safety, logistics, retail, and public works. Yet, until now, there has been inadequate research dedicated to understanding their transportation needs, especially in terms of transportation justice. So what does that mean? We will find out in this 24 Minutes podcast episode with Matthew Palm from the Department of City and Regional Planning at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. In fact, we begin with Matthew's answer to the question, what is transportation justice? Transportation justice encompasses a couple of different things. The first is about procedural justice and the idea that I mean, the way that I see it is the people who are most affected by the issue play a a dominant role in the shaping of policy on those issues. And so in the case of the nighttime, that would be night shift workers, as well as business owners, as well as even the clientele themselves participating in the processes that shape the outcomes of public policy around nightlife, including what transportation options are available. The other component of it is what I would call distributive justice, which is thinking about, you know, the government has a set pie that it can distribute. Um, Is it being distributed in a way that's fair? Um, Are there some groups or communities or neighborhoods where the need is greater, but those communities aren't getting resources proportional to those needs? Um, That's also a component of justice as well. How do you define night workers and how do you define evening shift workers? I saw both terms in your report. The definition we took is based off of health research, predominantly based in North America, which tends to define a night shift worker as someone who completes most of their shift between midnight and 6 a.m. That varies a little bit. Sometimes it's 10 to 6. Sometimes it's midnight to 8 a.m. And then with an evening shift worker, that tends to be defined in the literature as someone who's working most of their hours between six o'clock and midnight. Uh, Sometimes it's a little earlier, like four to 10 p.m. And the challenge for us in transportation planning is that we typically only know from the data we have when people arrived at work, right? So when you're working with commuting data in the census. So what I've had to do is find that rare data set that contains both sets of information, commute data and data on people's uh, time spent at work. And that usually comes from time use surveys. And the time use survey is, is the survey that all those statistics about how Americans aren't getting enough sleep, Americans spend too much time on their phones, that comes from. It's a excruciatingly detailed diary of what people do on on a particular day of the week when they're asked to take the survey. And what we did is we looked at the commute arrival times of people whose work hours met those definitions in the health literature, and we then proxied it. And so based on that analysis, we found that a night shift worker was typically someone who arrived at work between, I think it was 7 p.m. and 4 a.m. If you arrive in those times, you're very highly likely to meet the night shift definition. But for evening shift, it was people who arrived as early as like 11 a.m. 
um, and were sometimes staying late, or maybe they were doing a split shift where they were working lunch, they had a break, and then they were working the night until about 7.30, 8 o'clock. It's a little different in Canada versus the U.S., and uh, so, so that's how we manage to okay. define night and evening based on commute arrival. Okay. Well, you'll hear me use the term night workers or nighttime yeah. economy workers. And typically, I think in the global community that uh, talks about the nighttime economy, you'll hear that 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. windows. So right. basically, anybody who follows, falls in those windows uh, we consider part of the nighttime workforce. But I just wanted to make sure that we we're using in our terminology that we're um, uh, finding common footing here. I'm unaware of the of the health re uh, health data you're talking about. So that's very intriguing to me. Before we talk about your recent research and um, that addresses transportation and nighttime workers, uh, let's talk about you. You have a master's in public policy with a focus on transportation, a PhD with a focus on geography, You've been on the research and or teaching faculties at the University of Melbourne in Australia. I think I said Melbourne correctly. Melbourne, yeah. <laughs> Worcester State in Massachusetts, another city that doesn't pronounce like it's spelled. The University of Toronto, that one I've got. Uh, and now you are an assistant professor with a very prestigious fellowship in the Department of City and Regional Planning at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. What are you, some kind of transportation genius now? I mean, that's a lot to pack into someone who's a young man. I mean, I wish, um, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I got, I just, I like to live around the world. I like to travel. And one of the things about the PhD, if you get it from a, a reputable institution, is it opens the door to work around the world. And I, I got lucky and it was really a privilege. I mean, I... My interest in nighttime economies stems from getting a chance to live Melbourne's nightlife and then Toronto's and see how these different cities, um, you know, had different kinds of transportation options at night for people and, and how they kind of understood that. Well, and your your colleague, Jeff Allen, called you, quote, the amazing Matt Palm. So I figure you're also bringing a lot of insights and talents to your work. Tell us a little bit about your responsibilities at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So I teach in UNC's Master's of City and Regional Planning. Uh, this is a professional master's degree program for people in, in city planning. Uh, we're quite proud to be ranked as one of the top five master's programs uh, in urban planning in the USA by Planetizen. Planetizen, it's like a popular urban planning news site. I teach into the transportation planning emphasis. So I teach classes on public transit and urban transportation planning. Uh, I'm also creating a freshman seminar about planning for the nighttime economy, which I am. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, so excited. Um, so freshmen at UNC are required to take a seminar where they kind of learn how research works and how the academy works and it's a small discussion-based class uh, and it's got to be on an engaging topic so we're going to call it planning the night and the students are going to go collect original data yeah it's going to be awesome so you're the aforementioned jeff allen at the university of toronto and the two of you decided to combine your talent and training and interest on a research project that presented splendid visual images of the inequalities of nighttime transportation in toronto tell us about that how did it come about? What processes you use? Let's get down into the weeds on this one. And when was it published? Sure. Um, so I'll start with how, how this came about. So uh, we were doing an equity analysis of the city of Toronto's bus operations. So you're basically trying to see if 
the routes that serve communities with different demographics have similar performance metrics or they on time to a similar rate. And the challenge is you have to define each bus route in terms of who it serves. In the US, this is actually mandated by law uh, as part of Title VI of the Civil Rights Act for transit planning. Um, so you have to say, okay, which routes serve minority neighborhoods and which routes don't. And you can define it based on the neighborhoods the bus runs through, or you can define it based on who's on the bus. And in Toronto, we had the opportunity to do both. Mm. And we found that almost all of the night network that Toronto has, the night bus network, uh, had a different definition depending on which data you used. If you looked at the neighborhoods the buses ran through, they were not serving minority residents. But if you looked at the ridership, it was all minority riders, like overwhelmingly. And that was really interesting to us. Um, Toronto has one of the most, the oldest and most expansive night bus networks in North America. It's called the Blue Night Network. Um, and it was just interesting to us that who it served um, was sometimes very different than than who you would think it serves based on where the buses are going. Um, and that really comes down to the very different demography of who works at night. So um, I applied to uh, Statistics Canada. They have a, they're sort of like the US Census Bureau or the UK ONS. And I got access to their confidential census records. And uh. basically, yeah, it was, it took a while, but it was yeah. worth it. Um, and basically built a statistical model predicting, you know, who arrives to work in those night and evening windows and, um, using very rich data that you can only access by kind of going in. Um, and you know, that the paper is really about that. And we, we actually sort of cover it for the entire country. Um, and then we took a look at, differences in commuting by times of day and commute times. And, and what was interesting is, um, you know, shift workers have shorter commutes, um, but they don't use certain modes of travel as much as you would think, like the subways. They're kind of underrepresented on the subways, which we were really surprised by because a lot of the nightlife is along the subways. Well, let's, talk, let's talk about a little bit about the demographic, though. You, you're able to yeah. mine this very rich data that you got access to. What what did you find out? What were what were the discoveries about the demographics and who? Uh, the uh, and I think it's important because I think there are, it can be extrapolated elsewhere in the United States. Um, so tell us a little bit about the demographics of the users of the transportation systems at night. Well, that's an excellent question. So when Canada does its census, they do what the U.S. used to do, which is for a subsample of the population, they do a much deeper survey, but they do it for 20% of the population. So one in five, so it's extremely powerful. So we could look at everything. Um, and what we found um, were some interesting patterns. So women are overrepresented in that evening shift, but men are overrepresented at night. Okay. Um, and this kind of makes sense, right? So a lot of um, nightlife tends to have female-dominated professions, as does healthcare, nursing, et cetera. Um, but then when you get later into the night, you've got more people doing overnight security, people who are on call for the infrastructure and utilities. And those tend to be more male-dominated occupations. So there's a bit of a gender shift um, as you go throughout the day. Uh, but I think the most striking results that we found when it came to ethnicity and race. Um, so some groups are way overrepresented at night. So a black Canadian 
is twice as likely to work at night compared to a white Canadian. Okay. Uh, a Filipino Canadian is two and a half times as likely as a white worker. And this is similarly true for indigenous workers, for workers of South Asian descent. Um, we also cut it by immigration. So uh, over a quarter of Canadians were born somewhere else. And um, the newest, the newest immigrants are the group with the greatest amount of night shift work. Okay. And then the longer folks have stayed in Canada, the rate slowly goes down and starts to mirror Canadian born people. What's that about? That's an excellent question. So I think part of it has to do with just, um, there's a lot of different theories out there. Part of it is that's just the only jobs that a lot of new immigrants can get. Um, it, you know, they might be outcompeted for daytime shifts from people who have more local experience. Um, and that's something that comes out in the literature on um, integration of immigrants uh, and in both the U.S. and Canada. Right. And so, you know, there's there's kind of it's it's interesting. It's almost like the work patterns of immigrants kind of a, look like they assimilate the longer someone stays. Okay. Um, and I mean, it's it's kind of profound. Like the the whitest hour of the day in terms of commuting is the peak hour like in terms of who's on the roads. Um, and so when you're thinking about equity and you're thinking about fairness, you know, we tend to in transportation planning, we only care about that peak hour. And there's some good reason for that. That's when it's most crowded, but there there are more diverse needs off peak. And we, we need to be doing more work to think about how we serve our off peak commuters. Um, and which is sort of what I think the paper points to and argues um, so we we got it published, I think, this summer, right? Um, in a, a transportation uh, engineering journal, actually. Sure, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Now tell us peak hour. What, what define peak hour for me for somebody who's not in the transportation planning world? Right. So so rush hour. Um, okay. So you know the time of day when the nine to five workforce is going to work, um, okay. and when the kids are going to school, and you know it looks it actually varies somewhat substantially by metropolitan area, even within a, a country like the U.S. Um, it can begin as early as 6 a.m. and end as late as 10. Um, and so, we, you know, it's it's not an hour, it's a couple hours, but it's... Okay. Um, and, and your sense with, uh, as more people are working from home, although corporations are beginning to tell them to get back into the office, and as our work patterns become more 24-hour, you know, there are a lot of folks that work overnight that are interacting with folks in Asia. So what effect is that going to have? Or did you are you able to detect any change coming in these nighttime transportation patterns as a result of the work patterns? Absolutely. Um, a lot of the transit service providers, particularly in the U.S., are starting to reorient their service structure towards that 24-hour economy. Um, the BART... Um, WMATA in DC, there was an interesting article in Governing Magazine a few weeks ago where they were just saying like, the peak hour workforce is not coming back. They're working from home. They don't want to cram into a subway car or a, you know, train car. And so, but the nighttime workforce actually came back much earlier. Like when you, when you look at, you know, how, how many people are riding transit by hour of the day? And you compare it to that pre-pandemic, you know, 2019, uh, in the night, 
and this is true in Canada and the U.S., the ridership has already exceeded what it was before COVID, whereas in the peak hour, it's still sluggish. Ah. And so some agencies are saying, well, if that's the case, we need to start shifting our our service more. And part of that is because the peak hour workers, since they don't have a 90-minute commute home, they can go out at night. They can do more. They can They can participate. So I don't think COVID caused this. I think COVID accelerated a process that was already underway. That's just my personal take, but... Yeah, that's very interesting. And, and you focused that your study focused on Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal, correct? Yeah. Is it your sense, as I'm presuming, that a lot of the findings and data, although it might shift uh, incrementally in some ways, but the, a lot of the findings and data could be applied to the major markets in the United States? Oh, absolutely. Understanding. Okay. Um, so I'm actually in the middle of doing a, a similar study in the U.S. with my colleague, Matt Bogut-Conway, who's he's also a, he's a stats genius. And so we've taken about three decades worth of commuting data from the American Census Bureau and are looking at these trends as well. And it's it's I mean, you know, we haven't submitted it for peer review, but it's the same. The demographic patterns are the same and the commute patterns are actually they're kind of distressing like. <laughs> when you when we 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 can model the probability that somebody takes each mode of travel to work and we look at how that propensity varies by time of day when you do that modeling you can almost infer the utility or the benefit that people perceive from each mode and the utility of transit relative to driving is is always lower cuz you know transit it's usually longer um but it's the gap is at its worst in the nighttime period. Oh, like okay. the propensity of people to find transit attractive is just so much lower at night. And really the only time of day where transit looks like it competes is during the peak. And, you know, that reflects an understandable sort of post-war, how do we support, you know, nine to five jobs that, but, you know, as we've discussed, that segment of the workforce is shrinking while the people who are working at all different hours of the day is going up. So, you know, it's time for a rethink. Yeah, and I think also the fear of the night plays into everything for a lot of people. Absolutely. What is your hope for this type of research? I mean, how does this eventually get into the minds of decision makers and and commercial business leaders? So many times it seems like research just winds up parked on a shelf or in a file on somebody's computer. How does what you're doing change behavior and choices? There's a couple of things. So first, this is the first study I have done where there was immediate response from local governments. Like I've never, I've never seen this before. Like I've been asked to talk to local councils in the Toronto area. Wonderful. Never done a study. Like there, there really is an appetite for more engagement on the night than on other topics that I've worked on. So that, uh, and I think things like your podcast, things like, you know, blogging, those are really great ways to get the word out. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, you had me on here and that I, I can get a chance to sort of share what we've learned with, with practitioners across the world. Um, that's a really essential part of research now. You know, I, I don't think policy change is necessarily, I think some of the innovation is going to start outside of government. Um, you've got these really interesting startups that are trying that have recognized these gaps and trying to fill them. Uh, there's two in, that I'll speak about 
There's one called Hop On, which is like a carpooling commute solutions company. Another one is Pantonium, which it it like lets you how do I describe Pantonium? They be, turn your bus into like an on-demand system. So you oh. can use your existing bus and your existing stop, and people can hail them like they hail an Uber and take you from any bus stop to any bus stop. So um, and then hop on provides sort of like crowdsourcing, like carpooling options. They, they actually do all kinds of stuff. It's really interesting. But the point is these solutions are really being piloted in the private sector. And in a lot, in some cases, they're being funded by employers. And I, I do think that employers ha- maybe have an incentive at least to, if not fully fund it, you know, maybe work in partnership with local government to fund these options because absenteeism can be a problem for shift workers, right? And not having transportation is a big part of that problem. So there's benefits to businesses when you minimize employee turnover uh, and you reduce that absenteeism by making sure that your workers have a safe ride to and from work. I think you will find that the nighttime advocacy community in which the 24-hour nation sits there's a lot of support for uh, increased nighttime transportation because I don't think people think about uh, the folks that go to events at night and want to get home. The the worker in the kitchen that, that gets out at three, right. when public transit's gone, winds up having to get in a car and drive home. What's that do environmentally? There are lots of lots of issues surrounding about this. I think you'll find a voice for advocacy for night buses, more um, taxis running late in some in Ireland in particular, you'll see a conversation about that. So you've got friends in the nighttime community. I just want to tell you that, Matt. I am speaking with Matthew Palm. He's assistant professor in uh, Cities Pardue Fellow, prestigious fellowship at the, in the Department of City and Regional Planning at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I'll have several of the links for um, Carolina planning. Uh, they're on, uh, they've got a website, Facebook, Twitter, I'll also share, uh, post a link to the report because it is eye-opening and the visual really helps augment uh, the the data that you've been able to extract and put out in front that's getting attention. And this is important. So my final question of you, Matthew, and I appreciate your time. This is, uh, we're drawing a lot more interest from the transportation planning community in the nighttime space. And I think your voice will help accelerate some more interest. Why is transportation justice important for nighttime workers? Because nighttime workers are just far more likely to get into vehicle accidents and nighttime workers face additional concerns around safety at night, um, whether real or imagined. And so for that reason, I think nighttime workers are deserving of special attention and support from planning agencies, from transit agencies, um, because a lot of those folks play a really critical role in keeping the lights on and keeping our society running. And as we get more uh, digitized and automated, that's that's going to become truer uh, as time goes on. Nighttime workers play a critical role in keeping our society running. We couldn't have said it more succinctly. This has been Season 2, Episode 29 of 24 Minutes from 24 Hour Nation. Please, connect with us at 24hournation.com. My name is Randall White.